church saying my hope is built on nothing less Let's stand together and sing this last verse. When he shall come. When he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in his our prayer to today. Just in his righteousness alone. Fallness to stand before the throne.
Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad that you are here. If you're a visitor, guest, what an honor to have you among us. My name is Tom, and I also want to greet those of you who are online. What a privilege and honor to have you here with us as well. Well, if you are new, you can fill out a connection card in the seat back in front of you. You can drop it in the offering bag that will come by in a moment, and we'll have somebody on our team follow up with you. Also, if you're new, you can stop by the new people's table table out in the lobby, and we got a, a little gift for you, and we'd love for you uh, to meet. We'd love to meet you, and love for you to meet us. We have a number of different announcements. Uh, all of this information is in your bulletin. First off, we have partnership class that is coming up. Partnership is a key step 
to both relational belonging in the life of our church, but also to learn a little bit new, uh, a little bit more about what we believe as a congregation and as a church. And so I encourage you to jump in and join us. You can register for that um, class online. It's a four-week class that starts February 5th. Second thing is uh, next weekend, we're going to start a brand new series entitled Real ID, Who God Says You Are. And so we're going to look at what God tells us about our identity. Whatever you've heard about your identity, the truest thing about your identity is what God says about your identity. And so it's going to be a 10-week series. I'm excited about it. i um, already been working on it and uh, excited about that time. I encourage you to invite somebody to join us. Also, we have an upcoming uh, stewardship class called Strengthening Your Financial Core. It's a seminar, and maybe you're in a place where you just need a little bit of tune-up as you enter into the new year, looking at your finances, helping get um, that strengthened. We're going to look at five biblical uh, financial stewardship principles and how to apply them in your daily life. That seminar is on January 26th. You can register online. We also have baptism class coming up. Maybe you've made a recent decision to give your life to Christ. Maybe you made it a long time ago, but you've never been baptized. I want to encourage you to do that. Our baptism class is January 22nd, and then our baptism weekend is actually going to be uh, February 11th and 12th, so I want to encourage you to take your next step with Christ if you've not yet been baptized. In addition, uh, once a year we give a financial update just as part of good stewardship practices as we look at the year that just passed and we share a little bit about the giving that has occurred. So let me share our financial update. Everything we do as a congregation is empowered, church, only by your faith, your prayers, and your ongoing generosity. People will often ask me, Tom, does the government give the church money? No, the government, I don't know how the government works in your life. They, they take money from me. That's what they do. So that's kind of how that works. So all of our giving is what empowers everything we do. This includes both everything in our life and practice uh, together here at the church and all of the ministries we have that are within the walls of our church. It also includes our 20 partnerships in the city where we're serving those outside the walls of our church into the city around us, as well as all of our international partnerships that are functioning in 21 different countries, including reaching 30 unreached people groups. So there is a lot happening because of your faithfulness and your prayers and your giving for those of you who give back to CA. A few financial protocols I just want you to know that we have in place. Uh, from the moment anyone ever gives the offering, no one is ever alone with it. From, from the moment it's given, there's always at least two people um, with that. Every penny is budgeted and accounted for. Uh, our annual budget process includes our staff praying, and they, they come up with a proposed budget. Then they meet with Mark and I, and we go through that with them. And then Mark and I propose it to our Council of Elders, and the Council of Elders have the ultimate say in oversight of our finances in the life of our church. There are two authorized signatures required for every single check that goes out the door, no matter how small or how large the amount may be. So in 2022, I want to tell you kind of where we landed as we ended the year, the financial giving update. Our general giving that we gave last year was $9,037,996.63. 
So that was amazing. And then in addition to that, we have our kingdom giving. The kingdom giving, sometimes we call it the blue bucket giving. All of that money is given to missions. Now, you can think of that as the minimum amount of money we give to missions. Last year, we gave over a million dollars to missions. And so the amount I'm going to tell you is what you all gave. And then the elders took from the general and added to it to even make it more. So our kingdom giving was $712,723.31. If you combine those two numbers together, our total giving as a congregation last year was $9,750,719.94, right? So yeah, praise God. If you're curious, that is the largest amount we've ever given as a congregation in our history of our church since 1907, whenever we were first founded. It was about 3.5% higher than what we gave in 2021. Each year, we set a general giving target on the back of the bulletin. This year, in 2023, because of the ongoing growth of giving, we're elevating the target for 2023. Last year, it was $8.3 million. This year, we're going to raise it to $8.5 million. Now, you're looking at it. If I'm you, I'd be looking at it and saying, wait, our general giving target is less than what we gave? Yeah, because we want to have margin in our life. That's a good thing to have margin. So that's why we set the target uh, a little bit lower. So we're going to set it at $8.5 million. And you might be asking, well, then what happens if we meet or we exceed that target? And when we exceed that target, what happens is then we're able to do more work, uh, including some of the larger gifts that we've announced. So, for example, as we were tracking the giving, that's what allowed us to empower the gifts that we made that I announced at Christmas that are doing wells all over the world and all the work that's happening there. So the giving target will be $8.5 million. A big thank you to all of you who give back to God through CA. We're going to talk more about that when we get to the teaching time. But now is the time when we come really before God and we say, God, everything we have is yours. And we want to give faithfully back to you both a tithe. That word just means a tenth or 10 percent and an offering. But before we do that, let's pray. So God, even now, we come before you with our, with our tithes that you command us to give and with our offerings. <clears throat> and we ask, Lord, that you would take them, that you would bless them, that you would distribute them as you see fit and use them to empower your work, both within the life of our church, in the life of our city, and in the life of the nations around us, Lord. Everything we have is yours. You let us keep some of it for ourselves, how generous you are. Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow us in faithfulness and prayer and generosity. We thank you for every single penny that we were able to give back to you last year. Thank you for being so generous to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to have a great year, we've been talking about how to have a great year the last three weeks. This week, we come to the final week of our series, and we're talking about how to strengthen your financial core. In fact, this year, every single one of us is going to have to relate to money. We're going to have to deal with finances. Some of us like doing that. Some of us not so much. Um, and so this is something all of us are going to be dealing with. Imagine with me just for a moment. You are in a coffee shop. Here's the setting. A friend is running late. You're going to meet the friend. 
You're sitting there, you've got your coffee drink, you have a pastry, you jump on your smartphone, you start to scroll for a little bit. It's just a scene from everyday life, right? I mean, we see this happen all the time. But underneath that scene are at least nine different financial decisions that you've made to get to that scene. So, for example, first one is this, why did you go out? Second one is, why did you go there instead of maybe just going on a walk with your friend? How did you get to the coffee shop and how are you going to get home? What is your mode of transportation? Why did you pick that specific drink? Why did you get a pastry? Why do you have a smartphone? What smartphone did you select and why did you select it? Why do you use the service provider that you use and what particular plan did you pick from your service provider whenever you picked that option? Now, those are just nine different financial decisions, and we haven't even talked about the clothes that you're wearing or all the rest that we're doing in our life, right? So there are a ton of financial decisions in our everyday life. Now, it's, is it bad to meet a friend in a coffee shop? No, of course, it's not bad to do that if you thought it through. If you thought it through, maybe you would have made uh, five, six, seven of the decisions. They'd be the exact same. But maybe one, two, or three of the decisions would have been different. And here's the thing. Most of us, or at least many of us, we make financial decisions almost on autopilot. They, they kind of get set, and uh, we pay for a subscription, and we don't even watch that streaming channel anymore but we just keep paying the subscription before we assess, am I really using it? You know, Jesus talked a lot about money. Why? Probably because money is a concern that people both back then had as well as today. And so money also reveals not just our attitude towards money, but it reveals our attitude towards and reflects our attitude towards God himself. So to have a great year, you have to have a comprehensive plan to strengthen your financial core. And we're going to consider that. But before we do, let's pray. God, we thank you for your holiness, your mightiness, your goodness, your kindness. We thank you for your word. As we come to your word now that is living and active, would you help us open our hearts and our minds? Would you help us, Lord, to, to hear about your generosity to us? And how you invite all of us to be great stewards. To have a great financial plan as we step into this year. Based off of the principles we learn from your word. Speak to us now we ask. Both those who are online. As well as those who are gathered here in person. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. On your way in hopefully you got a bulletin. If you did you can flip it open to the center section. You'll see the teaching notes that are there that you can fill out as we go throughout our time together. The scriptures are there as well that we'll be digging into. Those of you who are online can get the scriptures um, through our website, cachurch.com. Well, there might be very few topics that are as relevant to our everyday life than finances, because finances, as we just saw, are woven into and throughout our everyday normal habits and routines. The Bible says that how you handle money is an indicator of how much you trust God 
and also how much God can trust you. We talk a lot about, well, I don't know, can I trust God? Is God trustworthy? Sometimes I wonder if God says, can I trust Tom? Is Tom trustworthy? Here's what we read in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. It says, whoever is faithful and very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who then can entrust you with true riches? Jesus was speaking there. In other words, finances are a test of our character. So often what we say is, well, if I had more money, then I would be more faithful. And what Jesus says is, no, that's not true. That, that if you're faithful with little, then you'll be faithful with much. But if you're dishonest with little, then having more is just going to give you more opportunity to be dishonest with the more that you have. Now, to get us started, there are three important financial questions that we all must ask ourselves. The first one is this, what's your financial vision? In other words, where do you think God wants you to be in the future financially? Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. What is your God-honoring financial plan? If you don't have one, you need to get one. So what is your financial vision? The second question is this, is what are your financial values? Job chapter 34, verse 4 says, let us choose what is right. Let us determine amongst ourselves what is good. Before you can even talk about the use of money, you have to determine in advance what matters most in your life. If you don't determine in advance what matters most in your life, if you just start with kind of what you want in the moment, then you'll run up your credit cards to get whatever you want in the moment, and you'll pay the price afterwards. So what matters most? And then we talk about what we want and how to get there. Money is a vehicle to live out your values, and values determine what your vision is. Which brings us to the third basic question, which, which is this. What is your financial plan? So you need a financial vision. You need to know what your financial values are. And then you need to have a financial plan. A vision without a plan is just a wish. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Some people, when I talk to them, uh, they almost kind of think that prosperity is like a dirty word. It's like a bad word. And yet, actually, prosperity is a biblical word. Here's my biblical definition of prosperity. I want to be able to give 10% or more back to God as He commands. I want to have my needs met. I want to have enough to help others who are less fortunate than me. And I want to have some left over for fun, too. That's a biblical definition of prosperity. Okay, so now when you get those three questions kind of as your foundation, the question then becomes like, okay, how do I plan well, biblically planning well, to have a great financial plan? And so I want to give us five different biblical principles from God's Word that you need to factor in if you're going to have a God-honoring financial plan. God wants you to be prosperous, and He gives us these principles to us from His Word to do just that. 
the very first principle is this. Work hard. The Bible says we were created in part to work. Work was not part of the curse in Genesis. Work was established by God for people prior to the fall, prior to the curse that came. Work will become harder because of the curse from Genesis. But in the beginning, God says, here's the garden, the animals, and all of creation. I want you to steward it. I want you to manage it. I want you to bring the best out of it. I want you to, to work it. That's why when we work and we achieve something, there are endorphins created in our brain that help us feel good whenever we've done good work and created something of value. Work is one of the ways that we create value, not just for ourselves, but also for those that we serve in the life around us. Growing up, my dad worked for Nabisco, so if you've ever eaten an Oreo, you can thank my dad for that. He was part of bringing that goodness into your life, right? And for 17 years when I was a kid, my dad worked the night shift. You might not know this, but back then, uh, they would run, we, we must really like Oreos, <laughs> because they ran the plant 24 hours a day. That's how much we like Oreos. Like, when you're sleeping, somebody's making Oreos <laughs> for you. <laughs> and that person was my dad. He helped oversee the whole crew that did that. And so for 17 years, he worked 33 years at Nabisco, 17 years during the night shift. So he would go to work at 11 p.m. at night and work till 7 a.m. for 17 years. Many times he also did overtime. He worked hard and he passed that value of hard work onto me. So in high school, I bought a lawnmower and some other equipment, and I walked around the neighborhood that I lived in asking people, hey, can I cut your grass? And even if they said, no, 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 I have somebody else who's cutting my grass, I was like, I will cut your grass cheaper than they will, and I will do a better job. Like, that's kind of, I was already an entrepreneur at a very young age. I ended up with 40 lawns that I had cutting grass each week after school. Now, in Pittsburgh, Grass cutting is an year-round event because it, it's snowy half the year. So about six months out of the year, I had 40 lawns that I was cutting. And I'll be honest with you, I was rolling in the money when I was in high school. <laughs> I wasn't paying rent to my parents. I wasn't buying my own food, right? And so yet I was working hard. In my family, working hard is a value, and it was passed on to me, and it's one that I want to pass on to my kids as well. It's not just a value in my family, though. It's a value in the Bible. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 12 says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to people. No, we command them. Settle down and get to work. Earn your own living. Guess what? In the early church, there were some lazy freeloaders in the early church who were too spiritual to work. We have a few of those around here, too. <laughs> they were too spiritual to work, and they would, just, they would say things like, well, I'm, I'm just waiting for God to provide. Well, the biblical answer is, He did. He gave you a brain, and He gave you a body, and He wants you to put them to work. Now, maybe you're in a season of life 
where you can't work. Maybe you have illness or something like that. We're not, we're not talking about that. Don't feel guilty. That's not what we're talking about. Or maybe you've worked for decades and you're retired. We're not talking about that. That's great. The only reason you're able to retire is because you worked hard at some point in your life and you were wise with your finances. And so you're living out of the fruit of your hard work. But clearly, biblically, the foundation of having a great financial plan is that you have to work hard. And it's a gift and a joy to get to work. And yes, it also is hard and frustrating because of the fall as well. But work was not part of the curse. Work existed, which is why we feel so purposeful when we do work. The second thing we see, if you want to have a great financial plan, is this. You need to plan wisely. You must determine a wise, God-honoring financial plan. Proverbs 27, verse 23 and 24 says, Riches can disappear fast. Anybody watch riches disappear fast this year or in 2022 in the stock market, right? Yeah, we're like, yeah, I watch, I watch riches disappear. Riches disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Part of being a wise planner is you have to keep good records. How are you doing at keeping good records? That's part of knowing the state of your flocks and your herds. Proverbs 23, 23 says, get the facts at any price and hold on tightly to all the good sense that you can get. Now, when it comes to planning wisely, facts are your friends. Facts are your friends. Even when you don't like the facts, even when it feels like the facts hurt you, facts are your friends because at least you know where things stand so you can plan wisely from there moving forward. I often think of it this way. Ignorance plus easy credit equals disaster. Ignorance plus easy credit equals disaster. There are four things that you need to know to plan wisely. You need to know, what do I own? What do I own? Second, what do I owe? Debts that you owe people. What do I earn? Some people, when I talk, they're like, I don't even know what I earn. I'm like, how how do you not know what you earn? (laughs) Some of you, I know, you might work in a gig economy, but you should at least know what you're going to get paid for each gig you do, right? So what do you earn? And then where is it going? So what do I owe? Uh, What do I own? What do I owe? What do I earn? And where is it going? Now, if you are married, I want to just be really practical here. Both spouses need to know this stuff. Typically in marriages, what can happen is one person's a little bit better with finances, maybe with the other. And what can happen is it's like, oh, uh, my wife handles all that or my husband handles all that. Let me just tell you, as a pastor, I've sat with people who their spouse has died and they had no idea about anything about their finances. And that is extremely stressful to have to be dealing with the financial information that really you should have known while you're also dealing with the grief of the loss of a spouse. So whether you're good with finances or not, if you're married, both of you need to know what do you own, what do you owe, what are you earning, and where is it going. Another important key to planning is that you have to write it down and review it regularly. This is true of anything financial planning included, studies show 
that if you have a written plan, it will strengthen your your finances across any income level. So no matter how little you earn or how much you earn, if you write your plan down somewhere, you will actually achieve your goals at a higher success rate than if you only think about it and hold it in your head. Why? Because when you write the goal down, this is my budget, it's written down, it changes your daily money behavior when you have a written plan. So I have a written plan. Alice and I have a written plan for our family, and I review it monthly. At the end of each month, I sit down and I see, am I sticking with my prayerful, God-honoring plan? In every area of my financial plan, in the giving part of my plan, the spending part of my plan, the saving part of my plan, the investing part of my plan, am I doing that? So I have a written plan that I review once a month. So you need to plan wisely. The third thing is you need to give generously. One of the central principles behind Jesus' teaching about money is that everything we have belongs to God. We are not the owners. We are the managers. Or as Genesis said that we just read, we're the stewards. We're the ones that are stewarding or managing it. If you wrongly see yourself as the owner, you will always, always, always struggle with giving back to God. If you rightly see yourself as the manager, that everything you have comes from God, then it'll be much easier for you to give generously back to God. Now, some people say to me, well, Tom, that doesn't make sense to me because, you know, I went and did the work and I got the paycheck. So isn't it then my money? Well, the answer to that is no, it's not. (laughs) You went and did the work, but God is the one who made your heart beat while you did the work, who gave you the breath while you did the work, who gave you the opportunity to do the work, to get the education you needed to do the work. God is the one who blesses your work, and God is sustaining you while you do the work. How much should you give back to God? Malachi 3, verses 8 to 12 says, Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How are we robbing you? In tithes, that word just means tenth, and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. God is speaking to Israel back then, but it applies to us as well now. Bring the full tenth, the full tithe, into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test. This is one of the only times in Scripture that God says, test me in this. All the other times, don't test me, don't test me, don't test me, don't test me. It's like, on this, test me. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locusts for you so that uh, it will not destroy the produce of your soil and your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Or we see this principle as well in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part, not the last part, the first part of all your income and he will fill your barns to overflow. Jesus himself says this and affirms this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. He says, yes, you should tithe. Sometimes people will say to me, well, but that tithing, that's just an Old Testament thing, and Jesus didn't say anything about it. I was like, well, Jesus didn't say anything about it if you don't actually read what Jesus said. 
But if you're going to actually read what Jesus said, he says, yes, you should tithe. But he goes on and says, but do not neglect the more important things. And the more important things in context, what he's talking about, are justice, mercy, and faith. Now, a few frequently asked practical questions on giving 10% back to God. I get this question all the time. Tom, okay, 10% back to God. I'm going to step forward in faith. I'm going to trust God. Should I give on my gross income or should I give on my net income? The answer is, do you want God to bless your gross income or do you want God to bless your net income? And when I ask that back to people, what everybody can immediately see is, oh, I ask gross or net because I'm not really certain if God's going to come through. Like if I knew that God was going to do what his word says that he's going to do, then I wouldn't ask that question because I would, I would want it to be gross, right? Now it's between you and the Lord. You figure out gross or net, but clearly he says 10%. The next question I get, Tom, should I give first or save first? Biblically, you give your first fruits back to God. Then you plan to live on the other 90%. What I've seen throughout the years is when people say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give 10% back to God, but I'm going to do it after I spend all the money that I'm thinking I need to spend. What happens is we expand our appetite and end up spending the money that we're to give back to God. Right? So we, we just kind of elevate our vacation a little bit. We, uh, we spend a little bit more money on kind of daily things. But if we give 10% first back to God, which is the biblical command, what you will find is with proper management of your finances, you can live on the other 90%. People will say to me sometimes, well, Tom, listen, <clears throat> I just can't. I can't do that. Here's my situation. You don't understand. I just can't. And look, at the end of the day, I know this doesn't sound very nice, but it is very true. If you are willing to sacrifice and be disciplined, then yes, you can. Yes, you can <clears throat> with God's help. Because God is not requiring you to do something that you cannot do. You might choose not to do it, but that's your choice. But it is not because you cannot do it. You can do anything God asks you to do when you go to God and rely on God and you seek God to do what God has asked you to do. You can do it. We've seen it. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of people step forward and say, I'm going to do it. Some people will say this to me. They'll say, well, I will give whenever my heart gets moved. I think that's like a weird philosophy of life. We don't do that in any other area of our life, right? Like, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't go to my workplace and say, I I'll come to work if my heart gets moved in the morning to come to work. I don't say that, right? I mean, if somebody said that to me on our staff team, I'm like, you're fired. I hope your heart gets moved to go on welfare because you are now without a job. <clears throat> we, we don't do that in our work life, right? Or imagine if I said to Allison, Allison, I'll be faithful to you if my heart gets moved to be faithful to you. She would rightly say, I, I don't want to be married to you then. Right? We don't do that in any other area of our life. Plus, Jesus says, listen, if you want your heart to be moved, move your wallet. 
This is what he says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the reason why is, we don't just give to a need, we have a need to give. We have a need to give so that we don't collapse down in anxiety and greed and fear and worry. If you're a Christian and you don't give 10% back to God, I would guess it's mainly because you're afraid. Afraid that you're going to end up on the short end of the stick. But God consistently throughout Scripture promises if you give 10% back to Him, then He will be able to trust you with more. I know, it sounds crazy. Like, it sounds crazy, but it works in real life. So every year or two, we run something here called the Money Back Tithe Challenge. The concept is simple. You sign up, you give 10% back to God through CA for three months. And this year, we're going to offer that challenge in the months of February, March, and April. And then in the month of May, if you haven't seen God pour out His blessing, then you can simply email and ask for the money back, and we will send you the money back, no questions asked. Now, there's nowhere in God's Word that says, I will pour out my blessings in three months. So why did I pick three months years ago? I picked three months years ago because it's long enough to require some faith and discipline. It's short enough to tempt you to try it, right? And we've seen hundreds and hundreds of individuals and families do it. And the worst that's going to happen to you is you'll have a three-month savings plan. The best that will happen is you'll get over that fear that God can't or God won't be true to His Word and bless you when you obey Him by giving 10% back. Over the years when we've done this, we've literally had, I mean, I don't know, maybe even close to 1,000 now, but we've had hundreds and hundreds of people do this challenge. And we have countless testimonies of people who their lives and their faith have been changed. So I'm going to explain how, we're gonna, how you can sign up at the end of our time together. And for all of you who already are giving 10% back to God through CA, I just want to say thank you for your giving. I already went through all the numbers, but that comes from your faithfulness. Your faithfulness is what is allowing everything we're doing, both in the life of our church, into the city, and around the world. People are coming to Christ and coming to know Him because of your faithful giving. And for those of you who give, and I give, my wife and I give back to God through CA as well, I want to say thank you. The fourth biblical plan, uh, or fourth biblical uh, principle for wise planning is invest consistently. Proverbs 21, verse 20, says stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. I didn't call anybody stupid. The Bible did. The Bible called us stupid. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. The very first part of investing consistently, you have to save money, right? You can't, or let me just say, it's not good to invest money that you don't have, right? Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, wise, the wise person saves for the future. You can't invest money if you spend all the money you get as fast as you earn it. Now, we all know that requires discipline, right? Discipline is something we do that we know it is good for us in the long run, even when we don't feel like doing it in the moment. And here's the thing about discipline. There is never a convenient time to be disciplined. By its very nature, discipline is not convenient. If it was convenient, it wouldn't require discipline. Are you saving for the future? 
Do you have investment goals? Proverbs verse 13, verse 11 says, Money that comes easily disappears quickly, but that money that is gathered little by little will grow. Now, there are several biblical uh, passages that speak about the importance of investing consistently. And, and I don't have time to go through all of them, <clears throat> but let me just give you one. It comes from Proverbs 31, which speaks about a godly woman. But this principle, I would argue, applies to men as well. In Proverbs 31, verse 16, it says, She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong. She's a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Don't you want to be that kind of person? That, that you're as diligent as that woman is that's described in Proverbs 31? My investing is like my giving. I have a written down plan that I review monthly. So I have a financial plan. I review it monthly, the giving part, the savings part, the investing part, the spending part. I don't just give when I feel like it, and I don't just save when I feel like it, and I don't just invest when I feel like it. I plan to do it regardless how I feel. Why? Because I am not following my feelings. I am following God's Word. My son Caleb, he turned uh, 18 about a year ago, and he got a job working in fast food. So I told him, I said, listen, after you give 10% back to God, I want you to open a Roth IRA, and I want you to put some money in there and invest it. And I explained to him, as an 18-year-old, every $1,000 that you put in, if you invested based off a historical norm of compounding interest of the S&P 500, every $1,000 you put in now, you're going to have $128,000 in the account tax-free when you're 67 due to compounding investments. And some of you are thinking, I wish someone had told me that when I was 18, right? I wish I could go back in time and make a $1,000 disciplined decision. So after giving 10% back to God, that's what he did prior to spending any money on anything else. It required him to be disciplined. One of his coworkers at the fast food place is like, you know, 60. And the guy says to him like, what kind of person are you that you're saving for retirement when you're 18? Like, but then he said to him, I wish I had done that. And so way to go. And he said, tell your dad way to go for telling you to be disciplined when you're young. Discipline is a decision, not a feeling. It's never convenient to be disciplined. But it's always a good time to be disciplined in ways that honor God and put His Word into action. The fifth and final principle is this. Live gratefully. We all know how to worry about money, but how many of us know how to enjoy it well? Or if I put it in another way, what does enough look like for you? Where can you say, I have all my need, all I need, I, I've been faithful to God in my giving, I have enough to enjoy, I have some to help others as well. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and on, and says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. You might be thinking, well, I'm not rich, that's not who I am. Yeah, actually you are. If you live in the U.S., you're basically rich globally, right? So we're all rich. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. 
God wants you to enjoy life too. Gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. Okay, listen up. Use your money to do good. All right, I did my part. That's what it says I'm supposed to tell you. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Or as Proverbs 25, verse 16 says, if you find honey, don't eat too much or it'll make you throw up. I love that proverb. I've seen a certain kind of soul sickness where a person never believes they have enough. I've sat with people uh, near the end of their life in hospitals still concerned that they don't have enough. Even though all their needs were met, as well as many of their wants, and they only had a few days left to live on earth, and they were still concerned they didn't have enough. It's a soul sickness. If you can never say, I have enough. I can live gratefully. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9 says, It is better to be satisfied with what you have than always wanting something else. Now, with our remaining time, I just want to give us some next steps <clears throat> because I love you. I pray for you every day, church. And I want you to not just hear this message. I want you to decide between you and God before you leave our time right now what your next step is to strengthen your financial core. So let's pray. Just between you and God, what's your next step? It might be a couple steps for you. First one is work hard. I know so many of you are hard workers. And if that's you, the call here isn't, well, work even harder. The call here is just for you to hear, well done. If you're a hard worker, well done. But maybe there are a few among us that God is calling you to honor the value of work and to begin to work hard. Because between you and God, if you're honest, whether you're a student, whether you're an employee, whether you're a business owner, you've just gotten lazy. You're wanting God to bless you, but you also are lazy. And so for maybe you, it's just, okay, God, I'm going to honor you by working hard. That, that's going to be my step this year to strengthen my financial core. Maybe others of you, <clears throat> it's to plan wisely. Do you have a God-honoring written financial plan that matches your financial vision and values? If not, that's your next step. Decide to do that this week. Maybe you have one, but you don't review it monthly. I encourage you to write it down, review it monthly. Start reviewing it monthly to stay on track. Or maybe your next step is you need to take the stewardship class we announced earlier. That is <clears throat> coming out of this, this message to design, to help you take a next step. We want to help you with that. Others of you, in the seat back in front of you, I want to encourage you to grab it. There's a card that says Money Back Tithe Challenge. I want to encourage you, this might be the thing that's your next step. If you're a Christian and you don't give 10% back to God, then as we read, God's Word says that you're robbing Him. I want to encourage you to fill out the card, give 10% back to God, 
during the months of February, March, and April. And then in May, if you've not seen God's blessing in your life, you can email and no questions asked, we'll send you a check with all the money back. And so if that's you right now, take that card, fill it out, and you can drop it in the buckets at the exit. Online, you can register as well through our website, cachurch.com. On this Money Back Tithe card, if you give us your email, we will send you a once-a-week email devotional that we've written that will help strengthen you and deepen you and your faith in God and His provision as you begin to obey in this area. Maybe others of you, you don't invest consistently. And that's what you need to do. Investing is a biblical value. Be wise about what you invest in. Diversify your investments. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. But invest consistently. And finally, really for all of us, this is a step. Live gratefully. How's God inviting you to be grateful for what you already have? What does enough look like for you? And so now, Father, we come to you. We ask that you would help us take our next step. Maybe take your bulletin and write down between you and God, this is what my next step is. Or fill out the money back tithe card if that's your next step and you're not tithing if you're a Christian. So Father, I pray that you would help us to strengthen our financial core, to do it in a way that is God-honoring, that we would be great stewards this year, that we would see ourselves not as the owner but as the manager and we would manage all that we have for the glory of who you are and the good of those around us and also as your word says, also for our enjoyment as well. Teach us, we pray, how to use our money to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.